Hey, what's up, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast listeners? This is one of your co-hosts, Peter Bell, and I wanted to present to you a bonus episode between seasons one and seasons two of our podcast series. This is a sermon that I preached at my school, Westminster Seminary, California, and it's on Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, the Tower of Babel episode. I wanted to show you, hopefully well, of what Reformed preaching looks like, how it's done, how it's applied, uh, how the text is taken, uh, what we see through the text, and what we try to give to those in the church. So if you want to listen to this one, learn a little bit more about Babel and how this relates to us, and see what the difference between Reformed preaching and uh, any other kind of preaching is. I hope this blesses you, I hope this helps you, and I hope you enjoy the Tower of Babel. Our text for this morning comes from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, the story of the Tower of Babel. So you want to open up your Bibles, open your phones, go to your app. We're going to read through, starting at verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from, the, from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us then and speaking to us now. I pray that you open my mouth and out of my mouth come your words. And whatever is not of your word, whatever is not of your truth, is forgotten and thrown away. And whatever is of yours is deeply embedded into our hearts. And we come away from here knowing we are preserved and in your name alone. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. My wife and I just got done watching all Marvel movies over the last couple months. We watched them all in chronological order. So from Iron Man 1 all the way up until Avengers Endgame. I won't give away too many spoilers. Hopefully you guys have seen it. If not, 
It's a little bit of a crash course in the Marvel Universe. But one thing that struck me as I was studying this text is Stark Tower. Stark Tower is Tony Stark's brainchild. It is where all the Avengers, all the gods, come meet in one place. And where all of New York City looks and says, those are the ones who are going to save us. Those are the ones who will fight for us. They will bring the gods down. They will take care of them. And so I saw a distinct similarity between Avengers and Babel. Babel being the place where people converged into one place, where the gods came down and those in the city could see this tower, saw this tower and said, that's the people that are going to save us. Those are the people we want to please. We can look to them and see our salvation. And so what I want to do is set the setting for this, show you where this comes from, why this is placed where it's placed, and how this shows us Christ. And so what I want to show you and want to give to you is God frustrates the name man gives himself in order to preserve his covenant name in Christ. And I want to show this through four very distinct scenes. The first scene is the setting. They're pushed eastwards. Second scene is the plan. Man's establishing his own line. Third scene is the descent. Man's foolish attempt at establishing his own line. And then point four, the dispersion. Preserving the covenant line. And so to set the scene with this, we see in Genesis 10, verse 8, and I'll go to it real quick if you guys want to listen. Genesis 10, verse 8, just before this, we hear who founded Babel and why that matters for Babel, why that matters for this setting. It says, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kona in the land of Shinar. So we see who the founder of Babel is. We see who he is and what he's trying to establish what he's giving these people who will be part of the land of Babel. And what I think is a slightly better translation of this, of mighty warrior before the Lord, is actually mighty warrior against the Lord. This is used in other parts of scripture, especially with mighty warrior, of somebody who's fighting against the Lord. Not fighting for the Lord, fighting against the Lord. So we see already Moses is showing us in the front end What's about to happen isn't good. What's about to happen is between two lines. We see from Noah up until the genealogy, and then from the genealogy after Babel to Abraham. There are two lines. This is not part of it. And so we see, why is this story here? It's a question I ask myself 
and I'm sure you guys are asking yourselves as well, why place this story right here? And so we have the first scene, the setting. They're pushed eastwards. Man's establishing his own line, as verse 1 says. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. They're coalescing, they're coming together at this one place. And this is directly contradictory, directly against the command of the Lord in Genesis 1 to 3, saying, broaden, expand my temple, expand my presence, take me everywhere, have dominion, rule this earth. And these people are going against that. They're saying, no, we're saying this one place, establish our one language. And then verse two, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And again, a slight nuance on this translation. And the reason being is I saw the same phrase used in Genesis 3.24. When Adam and Eve are pushed out of the garden. When the two cherubim are around the gates of Eden and they push them away from Eden. They're pushed to the east. Same as Babel. These Babelites, they're pushed to the east. It's already judgment language on the very beginning. So just, again, a slight nuance on this. Instead of going from these, they're actually being pushed. So they're being pushed further away from Eden, further away from the presence of the Lord. And so the next question I had, and you guys saw this too in the text, what's up with this temple? What is this tower doing in verse 4? Why is it saying city and tower? Why not just city? What's the tower used here for? So Genesis 11:3. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Notice here, man's not receiving anything from the Lord. He's asking himself, what do I want to do? Not, what does the Lord want me to do? The Lord spoke to Noah. The Lord said, build this ark. The Lord spoke to Adam and Eve, have dominion over the land, subdue it. These people in Babel are not receiving this from the Lord. They're doing this on their own accord. They're establishing their own plan. And we'll see later, they're establishing their own worship. And there's also this kind of fun play on words with Genesis 11.3. Not to go too far into the weeds, but in the original, it's, it's constructed very similarly to Genesis 11.7. So when it says, come, let us make bricks, that looks like the same word in Genesis 11.7. When the Lord says, come, let us go down. So if you look through that, you see something's happening. And we'll see later on why the Lord says this. Why he's using their own words against them. He's previewing judgment. Again, we see it in verse 2. We see it again in verse 3 and 4. And then verse 4, it says, Then they said, 
Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Again, I thought Stark Tower. There's a name Stark. They can see it. That's what these people want. They want everyone knows that temple is us. That temple is ours. Worship, sacrifice, your salvation comes from this tower. Comes from the presence of this tower in your midst. Not the Lord, this tower. Say, let us build this tower. And again, I saw a similarity with Genesis 1. When the Lord said, let us make man in our image. What is man saying in Babel? What is man saying in Genesis 11? Let us make something, let our name be great. Let our image be great. We don't want to image the Lord. We want our own image. And this tower, this temple is really interesting. Other cultures in this area would have seen this tower not actually as somebody trying to find somebody in the heavens, not trying to find the Lord in the heavens. It's to bring God's down. They need to build it high enough, as verse 4 says, when it says, and a tower with its top in the heavens, they need to make it high enough to where they can get the God to come down. It's not so they can go up to see the Lord, it's their gods are so small, so weak, like our gods, that they have to make it tall enough to where their gods can make it. And on top of this tower, they would have had this little picnic table. They would have food, they have drinks, they have sacrifices, so these gods can refresh themselves. That's what Babel's doing. They're not looking for the Lord. They're feeding their gods. This is not the Lord. This is their gods. They're domesticating their gods. They're making their own gods them. By them serving their gods, by them giving food to their gods, their god. Not the gods that they're serving, their god. This is idol worship. This is again what we'll see later on, why the Lord has to break them up. And we'll see that in verse 5. And this is the next question. Why does God need to come down? He's all-knowing. He sees everything. We know this of him. Why does it say, and the Lord came down to see the city? He's all-knowing. He sees everything. What he's doing is he's bringing their desire and flipping it. They're trying to bring the gods down. And guess what? They did. They brought the Lord down. But not to serve them. It's to judge them. They want to be served. They want to serve. And this Lord's coming down in judgment. He sees idol worship. And he's judging. He turns this on his head. And what's interesting too, is throughout Babel, the word Yahweh is used. Not his, not impersonal, but not his general name for God. It's his covenantal name. He's acting on behalf of his people. This is the name he gives to Israel 
later on saying, I am your Lord. You are my people. He's acting on behalf of his people. He's acting on behalf of us. In behalf of them. And then Genesis eleven six. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. My very first question was, why is he fearing? Why is the Lord fearing? We know the Lord doesn't fear. We have to think of Noah. He's remembering. He's fearing on behalf of his people. He's fearing on behalf of his name, those around who see this temple, who see this worship being done, may be influenced to do this as well. He wants his people to serve him alone. That's his people. He's not incapable. He's remembering. Just like he did with Noah in the flood. And just like he will with Abraham. And throughout history, up to us. Then Genesis eleven seven. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So I reference this in verse 3. It's that same, it looks like the same word in the original language. It looks very similar. And so what Yahweh is doing, what the Lord is doing, is he's flipping their language on them. Their very words he uses against them. They seek to worship. He's coming down to judge. He changes the words. He says, you wanted to build up. I'm going to break down. I'm going to come down. And again, he's acting on behalf of his people. He's acting on behalf of us. He's destroying their idol worship because that will spread, not his name, not his glory, not his worship. He wants his worship to spread. He wants his temple, his church, to build and expand, take in believers, take in his flock, not idol worship. And this is, again, this is our own hearts. We have to see ourselves in this Babel account as those who want to expand our hearts, who want to expand our ideas, who want to expand our name, instead of looking to the Lord who's already done it for us, who's already done it in his son. And so the last question I asked myself, and you guys ask yourselves as well, as you look at this, where in the world is Christ in Babel? Doesn't seem like there's that much redemption in this. Doesn't seem like anybody's saved at the end of Babel. It's just dispersion. It's everyone is pushed out. Everyone is dispersed. Their languages are confused. Where is Christ in this text? Now leads to the fourth scene. The dispersion. Lord's preserving his covenant line by dispersing man's own line. Man's own name. So Genesis eleven eight. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. They were still building at this point. They were expanding 
at this point. They're building up and building out. He's stopping that. He's saying, no, your name won't build. Your name won't expand. My name will expand. My people will expand. They're threatened by this. I remember my people. I remember them and remember you. I remember my people. And then Genesis 11, 9. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This struck me, too, and as I was looking through, Acts 2, Pentecost, shares exactly the same language. And so, back before this, there would have been this thing called the Septuagint, this Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. And we see in Acts 2, the same word used is used in Genesis 11:9, And it's right before the Spirit comes, dwells in the believers, and inaugurates, builds, starts the church, and expands the church. In contradiction against what Babel is doing. Babel is trying to expand their own worship. The Lord expands the church through Christ. We see Christ before this. The church would not exist without Christ. Christ comes, redeems his people, gives them his name. Lord gives them his name, gives us his name through the Spirit. The Spirit comes on the believers as the Lord came down on Babel. But the Spirit doesn't come in judgment. The Spirit comes to give you a name. The Spirit comes to give you a name in the church to say, You are mine. I will keep you. I will preserve you. I will keep you forever. I will expand you. This will not end. Your name in me will not end. Babel ended. Their name ended. The name of the church does not end. Us believers in the church, our name will stay. And it's not because it's our name. It's because it's Christ's name. Christ redeemed us. Christ gave us his obedience. Christ's blood is what purchases the church and allows Pentecost to happen. He expands the church versus allowing these people to expand their own name, expand their own line. Which is interesting too, if we think back to verse 4 at the end, when it says, And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They're given a name, and it's Babel. They want a name for themselves, and they're given a name. And the name is to disperse them. It's a judgment name. We're given the name of Christ. We're given the name of his obedience. We're given the name of his righteousness. And what's also interesting, too, is that same word name, it's repeated in Genesis 11.10. That leads to Abraham. So from Shem to Abraham. And that's our line. So this Babel account is right in the midst, literally, between two full sets of names. And they want their own name. And they have a name. And they don't take it. The Lord preserves his line. So for those who don't believe yet, Take the name of Christ. Take his righteousness. 
take his obedience. That will stand forever. You will forever have a name. You don't have to build up your own tower. You don't have to build up your own worship. You don't have to rely on your works, your fame. The Lord will preserve it. And for us believers, this is really good news. We have a name that lasts forever. We have a name that's guaranteed in Acts 2. We have a name unlike those in Babel who wished a name for themselves. And so I pray we all take the name of Christ, rest in his name, and know his name is indestructible. We will forever be in this line of Christ. And he redeemed Babel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you take what's broken. You take what we want to expand in our own hearts. You break it so that you can give us perfection. So you can give us the name that lasts forever. We thank you for this. And we know we have this through the Spirit. He has given us this name. He's guaranteed us this name. He came down to bless us, not to judge us. Pray that we can live through this and live understanding this. Pray all this in your Son's name. Amen.